Okay, well, good morning again. Um, before we get started, quick announcement or reminder. So this coming Saturday, we are having another service Saturday, and we do these every other month, so the even months of the year on the first Saturday, we take the morning and we serve. And we serve a handful of people that are, are, are in our church that may have some kind of a need, and we also serve some that are, are outside of our church. And so that's coming this Saturday. Um, uh, we will, like I said, be serving some people in our, inside of our church. I think we're, we're also going to be working with Serve 6.8 again and doing some toy packing for uh, the, the adoptive family Christmas trees. So join us 8 a.m. this coming Saturday in the gym for Service Saturday. Okay, well, it's fun to be here with you this morning. It's fun to, to begin to sing some Christmas songs with you and have, have our building decorated like it is. It's... Uh, it's fun. I um, we we just decorated in our house on on Friday. We put up our tree and we um, decorated our house and and started Christmas music, which is when you should start. Okay, I think we can all be in agreement on that. After Thanksgiving, we should start. But we we had fun decorating our our tree. Um, my my daughter would love to start much earlier. Um, she she could have started three months ago very easily. We um. Um, we actually had some tears on Friday morning because we weren't starting quickly enough for her. But it's great to get into this, this season. Um, I, I do love it. Um, I, I enjoy the music. I enjoy the, the, the color and the, just the atmosphere and the familiar Bible passages and the stories and, and just everything that has to do with Christmas. I, I enjoy the traditions. We have a, a number of tra- traditions in our home, and, and, and I think they're very meaningful to us, and I think it's appropriate to, to build some tradition around, around this holiday. And you might ask, why? Okay, what's, what's, what's the, the purpose, what's the use of certain traditions? I, I, I want to talk about that as we begin for just a few minutes. Why traditions? Well, I think there are some, some good reasons to develop traditions around the holiday. I'm going to give you three of them. Number one, the physical tends to complement the spiritual. You know, we just observed this as we celebrated communion just a few minutes ago. This is, this is something that God gave us. I, I, we, we, are not, we are not Gnostics as Bible-believing Christians. We, we believe there's a great value in the physical. There's not this very rigid distinction between the spiritual and the physical, but God designed the physical to very much complement and accent and enhance the spiritual. And so I think it's appropriate when we have spiritual truths and realities and ideas, I think it's appropriate to build physical elements around them that support them and, and, and do enhance them. And so I think that's, that's very appropriate. Secondly, we forget without regular reminders. Again, that's why we just celebrated communion. We, we our, our brains, our hearts, they, they leak and we need patterns in our lives that help us to remember and to ground ourselves on those essential truths. And so we forget and we need regular reminders. And thirdly, God is a celebratory God. Hey, believe this about God. We, we may not often picture God this way, but I think it is true. Let me give you a, a few reasons to believe that is true. You know, God included several regular feasts and celebrations for his people Israel. We just learned about that. 
As we went through our Old Testament series from Exodus through Deuteronomy, Perry took a Sunday and he highlighted the, the regular feasts and celebrations that the Israelite people were to, to utilize. And they were very celebratory. It could be a, a week of celebration and feasting. And God set this up for his people. And I think he did it for a reason. I think it because, because it, it reflects something of him. God rejoices. God is a joyful God. I think this is something that we need to understand about God. God is joyful. I think for many of us, Zephaniah 3.17 is a precious verse. It says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. And that's a profound verse. That God will rejoice. He will rejoice even over you. If you are his child, he rejoices over you. He even sings over you loudly. He loudly sings and celebrates his children. And thirdly, the, the future consummation of God's kingdom is described as a wedding celebration. Revelation 19.9, Then the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. This is our future, and it's a celebration, it's a feast. It's like a wedding reception. God celebrates, God rejoices. I think he, he leads his people into doing the same, and it is appropriate to, to build special elements around special seasons and to, um, and to use them to, to accentuate those spiritual truths. However, at the same time, there are, of course, there's the danger of misusing tradition. And I think any casual reader of the New Testament can see that, that there are potential dangers in tradition. Let me give you a few of those as well. Traditions can become an end in themselves. And so we can, we can see that. Traditions are, are meant to, again, undergird spiritual truths and realities, but sometimes they can become the goal themselves. And it's about the tradition, not the ideas behind them. That certainly happens Traditions can be used to separate and condemn, and this was the sin of the Pharisees. They built structures and traditions in order to exalt themselves and keep down others. And so that can certainly happen as well. But there's a third reason here that, that we're highlighting this morning and over the next few weeks, and this is it. Traditions can create expectations that lead to discouragement when not fully realized, and, and I think we see that, and I think a lot of us have experienced that during the Christmas season. Maybe you're experiencing it right now. The Christmas season here does create a certain amount of expectation, and there's this, this idealistic reality that we're shooting for, and when it doesn't happen, we can all feel that sense of discouragement. It's pretty well documented that, that oftentimes things like depression and anxiety and, and relational strife can increase, even increase significantly around the holidays. And again, many of us have experienced that. And so, with that in mind, we are entering into our Christmas series, but our Christmas series is going to be a little different than typical this year. 
With, with this understanding, knowing that many of us are wrestling with things that the, the Christmas season tends to, tends to just, just stir up, we're going to try to address some of those hard issues, those hard issues that are stirred up around the holidays. And we're, we're going to do that believing that, that as we tackle some of these hard issues, um, we will be freed up to really enjoy what, what the Christmas season should stir us to enjoy. After all, Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. So, of course, our lives are, are wrapped up in our hearts, what's going on internally. Okay, what what we're, we're wrestling with, that flows out into our lives and really dictates what our lives look like. And so, if, if our hearts get all tied up around Christmas, it seems appropriate to try to untie them. Try to untie them so, again, we can use all of this that we've created to focus our hearts on what we're really hoping for. So, we have, um, we've, we've titled this, this uh, series, Hope for the Holiday Blues. Okay? And we're going to cover a handful of, of topics such as these. Depression and loneliness, materialism and gift pressure, strained relationships. Again, these things that may be very relevant to our lives right now. We're going to touch on each of these over the, the next few weeks. Now, I explain all that, and some of you can feel like, wait a second, I, I come here around Christmas for the music and to maybe see some cute kids and to hear fun stories about shepherds, and you're going to make me think about my emotions. I'm out. But I just want to encourage you um, to bring a faith here for these few weeks. Um, I, I really believe that God can do a little bit of, of, of heart surgery over these few weeks and release us can release us to enjoy this holiday season. And that's really our goal, is, is joy. Even though we're talking about some pretty heavy subjects, our goal is joy, is to experience the fullness of joy that Jesus brings us. So that's what we're, we're going after these few weeks. This week, that we are going to tackle a, perhaps a particularly difficult topic. And we're going we're gonna to tackle the topic of loss. Okay, so loss. Now, we know, I think, many of us have experienced that losses, our losses can very much be amplified during the Christmas season. The holidays are reminders of what's missing. Often those holes in our lives are really emphasized over, over this month. And so we're going to talk about that. And that, that could, could be very, very difficult for many of us. But again, I think it is going to help us experience um, the, the fullness of joy that we can during this season. Um, we're going to talk about loss, and loss certainly... Uh, feelings of loss due to, to loss of life, but it's broader than that as well. 
I think we experience many, many different kinds of losses, both, both large and small. And sometimes it is, is loss of life. There's, there's a, a loved one that is not at the Christmas dinner table this year. Sometimes it's lost due to estrangement. Um, there are people that we, we don't see for whatever reason that we used to. Sometimes perhaps it's loss of community. We were involved in some sort of community, and for whatever reason, that community um, evaporated. Could be loss uh, due to the loss of a, a, a dream. We'd really given ourselves to something, and we saw it just not work out. It, it kind of dissolved. Maybe it's loss due to some good or positive circumstances, just basically change. And what about the parent who watched a child grow up and leave the home? And of course, a very good thing, very natural thing, something to be celebrated, and yet there's, there's a hole, there's some sense of loss there. We're going to talk about those things, and really what we're, we're talking about this morning is, is um, lament, okay, biblical lament. And lament is a, a surprisingly significant part of the Bible, I think, as we will see. But I, I, I'm hoping that, that this morning we can um, walk in, in, in a healthy biblical lament um, that, that will be helpful for, for all of us. And, and again, you may be thinking, I, no, I came for the, I came for the, the shepherds. Um, and uh, I, I, I don't want to have my sense of loss stirred up again. But again, I want to say that there, there is joy on the other side here. I, I really believe that there's this process. We experience loss, and we all experience it. There's no avoiding loss, whether large or small. But I believe that there's a process that we can go through with God that turns loss into joy. And that's what we're aiming for. Again, we're aiming for joy. We have a hope in joy this holiday season. And so we're, that, that's our target. Joy is our target. I'd like to read Psalm 126. It says, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. I think the psalmist is capturing something here. Capturing God's ability to restore, to to change things. Not always change circumstances, but definitely change hearts. And where we can sow in tears and return with shouts of joy. Again, that's our aim. To, To walk through a biblical lament that turns tears into joy. So that's what we're doing. Going from loss through biblical lament to to joy. But the problem is, we're, we're pretty bad at this. Okay, I, I'm just going to say that most of us in this room 
are pretty bad at lamenting, at grieving losses well. I certainly am. Okay, I am um, uh, sharing as somebody who is on a, on a journey here, not as an expert right now. It's something that I feel like I need to walk through. Um, we're, we're typically pretty bad at this. I, I have a friend who is, is actually not bad at this. He's, he's, um, he's, he's actually very good at this. This is a friend. He's, a, he's a, a pastor in a different city, and he has always been, been known, I think, for connecting emotionally with others. And I was talking to him just last week on the phone, and, um, and, and he was sharing about some, some things in his life, and he's, he's got a, a family member that's going through some pretty excruciating trials, and my friend was, was sharing about how he just has spent a lot of time on the phone with his brother just weeping, just weeping with him. And, um, and again, that's something that my friend is, is, is known for, and, and, and my friend was telling me that there was another person in his church that that came to him and said, hey, you know what? You're, you're a lot like, like sadness from, from inside out. And for most of us, that might be insulting, but my friend took it as a compliment um, because it's, it's actually true. And my friend would describe how, how, how sadness and joy for him are, are often intermingled. He's a pretty joyful guy, but, but so often sadness is just a short step from, from joy. And, um, and that's how he experiences a lot of, a lot of life. And, and I've, I've wanted to learn from him, and I think I am. I, uh, historically, this would not be at all something that I would be good at. Um, you know, I, I, historically, I felt like, why, why waste my time with something like emoting? Okay, what an ineffective, inefficient use of my time. But I'm learning. And I think I have learned um, over the years, and uh, tears actually come much more easily to me than they used to. Um, and I've, I've learned from my friend here, and I want to learn together with you. But typically, we're not very good at it here in the, the, the West, in... Um, in independent America, we're not very good at this. Other cultures around the world and other cultures throughout history have been much better at it. I just want to read you an example from, uh, from Genesis chapter 50. And this is after Jacob had died and his son Joseph mourned for the loss of his father. It says, Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm, embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it, for that is how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him 70 days. 70 days for this foreigner um, that hadn't really done anything for them, his son had. 70 days they wept for him. Go down a few verses. So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt as well as all the household of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's household. Only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. When they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father seven days. 
And again, that's, that's, not, that, that's pretty foreign to us. Um, 70 days of weeping, another seven days of grieving after his father was, was buried. And that is not something that we, we walk through very often, but I, I, I wonder if we should move the needle in that direction. Okay, so we're going to talk about biblical lament this morning, and I, I really just want to give you three, three points. I want to make three points about biblical lament, and I hope this is helpful for, for a lot of us here. Number one, <clears throat> biblical lament includes others. It includes others. The, the key verse, of course, is, is Romans twelve fifteen. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And this is such a fascinating and compelling verse that I, I am actually to, to share emotion with somebody, even if I'm not directly affected by the pain that they're experiencing, I'm still supposed to enter into that emotion with somebody. I'm to carry an emotional burden with someone. Um, and, and again, this is, this is not natural for many of us, but this is what, what God asks us to do, to, to actually weep with those who weep, rejoice also with those who rejoice, but specifically to weep with those who weep. As I mentioned, my friend that I, that I described earlier is very good at this, just entering into that, that emotion. I think Jesus did this as well. You know, we could go to the story of Lazarus in Luke chapter 16. You may be familiar with that story. Um, Lazarus was a good friend of Jesus. Lazarus also had two sisters, Mary and Martha. They lived in the town of Bethany. Lazarus became very sick, and he was dying. Jesus was in a different town. He hears that Lazarus is sick, and he intentionally waits two more days before going to that town. And he told his disciples, okay, we're going to return to Bethany, we're going to return to Judea, um, because Lazarus is sick, and actually he has he is died. And so they, they, they wait, and then they return there. And let's pick the story up in verse 30. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Now, this is really interesting. Jesus, of course, knew that Lazarus was dying and that he had died, and he purposefully waits to go to Lazarus's town. He lets him die, and he knows that he's going there to resurrect Lazarus. That's his whole intention. He is going to show his power and the glory of God by raising Lazarus from the dead, and so he purposefully waits. That's what he knows he's going to do. And it doesn't seem like he has a strong emotional reaction when, previously when, when Lazarus had already died. But when he comes to this place and he sees Mary, and he sees Martha, and he sees the others, and they are weeping, he does the same. He says he's deeply moved, deeply moved in spirit. And I think Jesus entered into that emotion. Again, he wasn't feeling it previously, but when he 
when he, when he entered into that, 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 that relationship and that connection with those other people, then he fully engaged there. And he was distressed and greatly troubled. And he wept because of this loss. And, um, and this, is, this is part of how God has, has set things up, I believe. That, that we experience loss, um, and sometimes we, we don't even necessarily need or don't even have access to answers, but we do need relationship. And somehow we need to have this emotional burden shared with another person. And so, if a, the question for you, I'm going to just ask you a, a bit of a practical question after each one of these points. And the question is, have, have you invited somebody else into sharing your loss with you? If you can consider whatever, whatever loss is, is in your mind right now, whether large or small, is it something that you've intentionally done where you've invited somebody to share that loss, invited them to weep with you? And conversely, are you available to weep with somebody and are you, um, are you able to? Are you able to join with them in that emotion? I think for many of us, this can be very, very difficult to either enter into that moment with another or to invite somebody into it for ourselves. I said earlier that I'm, I'm growing in, in, in the ability to, to mourn and lament and feel these things after loss and to properly grieve with God these losses. Um, and so often, I, I, I think I can um, get into the mode of trying to take care of whatever is happening and pick up pieces and not really invite somebody to simply grieve, not to acknowledge that loss myself. I have not, um, you know, many of you have, have experienced very significant losses to people that are very close to you. Uh, with, um, I have not experienced yet the loss of a, 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 an immediate family member. Both of my parents are still alive. Both of Christie's parents are still alive. Um, somebody in my, my immediate family has not yet passed. Um, but I have, I have had close friends pass away, and close friends that are around my age. Even the last few years, um, I've had, had two that, that, that have unexpectedly passed. And, um, and I think in those situations, it is, it is very easy to be, um, to be a pastor and to... Think of what, what needs to be done in this situation. Okay, what details need to be taken care of? What, what, what people need to be helped? Um, it's, it's very easy to do that. And I, and I imagine for many of you, you are, maybe you're the one in your family that picks up the pieces. You're the one that takes care of things. Maybe you're the responsible one. And it's easy for you to go into that kind of mode as well. But I just want to ask, have you invited somebody else into sharing your loss with you? Have you actually expressed that to somebody? Um, and have, have, you, have you related to one another over that loss? Okay, the second, second point about biblical lament. 
Biblical lament involves raw honesty expressed directly to God. Raw honesty expressed directly to God. As I said earlier, lament is a, uh, a surprisingly significant part of the Bible. Okay, we see examples of lament throughout the Bible. There's an entire book called Lamentations, where, where Jeremiah is lamenting the destruction of Jerusalem, the loss of a dream, um, the loss of a, a vision, the loss of life. And he, he laments that in, in Lamentations. And, and you should read that. It's, it's, uh, I think it's helpful to walk through that lamentation with him. But of course, many of the Psalms are lamentations. Many of them are. And God gave us this huge book in the middle of the Bible, 150 chapters. And they're just, they're, they're prayers and they're songs, they're laments. And, and they express things to God. And I will be honest, as a, as a young Christian, I didn't really like the Psalms that much. Okay? Well, that's offensive to many of you. But I didn't really like them that much because they weren't clean. They weren't linear. They weren't even right a lot of the time. Like, there was not a lot of doctrinal coherence to many of those Psalms. So they didn't really resonate with me. Um, over time, though, I think I have grown to, to appreciate the Psalms, and so often what happens is, is you go through something hard, and then you read a psalm, and it expresses exactly what's going on inside of you somehow. And it just puts into words what you're feeling, and you, you, you pray to God along with the psalmist in the same way, and it just, just resonates there. And after experiencing that... Um, multiple times, grown to appreciate the Psalms more and more and, and come to dearly love them. God gave us these, these, these Psalms as, as a template, example prayers for us to use when we're, when we're hurting. And I want to read one for you right now. You can, you can actually turn to it with me. I want to read Psalm 88. It's on page 494 in your house Bible. I'm just going to read the whole thing. All right, um, Psalm 88. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you, whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are, you one, are your wonders known in the darkness or your right, righteousness in the land of forget, forgetfulness? 
But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my mouth, from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have be- become darkness. So in this psalm, he starts out well. He says, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. But then it's, it's kind of downhill from there. And the rest of the psalm is just this complaint. It's almost this accusation where he's just describing his pain and his sorrow and his frustration and even with God. And there's no term in it. There's no resolution. It's not like he gets to this point where he, he, he sort of turns around and, and says, oh yeah, but God, you're, you're good. No, it's just venting the whole psalm. I read that and I ask, is that, that, is that what we're supposed to do? And I think the answer is yes. I think sometimes that's what we're supposed to do. And, 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 and we're not to um, just, you know, vent around or, or at or about God, but directly to him. Yeah, I think there's a difference there. There's a difference about just complaining kind of about God or about my circumstances. There's a difference between that and taking my circumstances and everything inside of me directly to God and, and honestly bringing it before Him. But I think that's what we are to do. And so the, the, the question here is, have you taken extended time with God to honestly lay your loss at His feet? And I don't mean just, just like 10 minutes. I mean hours or days where you come before God and you, you, you cry out to him and you lay everything before him and you vent and, and you are completely raw. You know, he knows it already and he can take it. And I think there should be times like this in our lives. We experience injustice, we experience loss, and I think there's, there's a time to honestly bring this before God and, and just lay it all out before Him. And so have you done that yet with your loss? And again, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about more than just this 10-minute um, prayer. But sometimes I think we need to get into the pattern of, of taking extended time with God, prioritizing our, our, our time and our money, you know, uh, renting an Airbnb for a night and just being alone with God and, and just bringing everything before Him and processing things with Him for, for time, maybe for a long time. So that's the question, have, have you done that? The next point about biblical lament, and this is more of a, um, just, just, I think, a, a truth, a reality, an encouragement. Biblical lament does produce hope. I'd like to read uh, another psalm, Psalm 73. So you can flip back, if you're still in the psalms, you can flip back a few pages to, um, to Psalm 73, and we're going to read part of this psalm. <clears throat> um, 
Okay, so we're going to start, start in verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. And he goes on like this. This is unfair. The wicked people are winning. And they, they seem like they, they're just getting good and they don't have troubles. And he describes that. But skip down to verse 16. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. And I skipped out a little longer, a little further. Nevertheless, there's verse 23. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. And so this is a psalm where he again is venting. But I think there is a moment where God does turn his perspective. He turns it around some. Um, where he brings him into a greater understanding. He He is upset because of what he sees as injustice, that these bad people are getting good, but then God gives him a fuller perspective. He lets him see, I think, eternity. And he produces hope in that. Okay, and, and so often we, we, uh, we are, are looking at the very temporary and we're, we're frustrated with it. And then we enter into God's sanctuary, like the psalmist did. And God works in us, and he produces, produces some understanding in us where we see our circumstances as temporary, and we're refocused on eternity. 2 Corinthians 4 says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And again, God is able to do this when we enter into his presence, when we draw near to him, he lifts our eyes, he gives us a fuller perspective. I think this happened with with Job. Job didn't even get answers. God didn't explain things to him. He didn't explain his loss. But he did have an experience with God. And that experience with God changed him, changed his perspective. The loss was still significant, but he could see God's, God's justice. He could see the fullness of, of what God was doing, even though he didn't have specific answers. I want to share a quote from, uh, from C.S. Lewis here. This is on, on C.S. Lewis is talking about nostalgia. Nostalgia, of course, is, is very related to loss, as, as nostalgia is a, a longing for something that has been experienced in the past. This is what C.S. Lewis says. It says, The books or the music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust to them. It was not in them. It only came through them, and what came through them was longing. These things, the beauty, the memory of our own past, are good images of what we really desire, but if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers. 
For they are not the thing itself, they are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never visited. And now I want to, want to quote David Gibson. He's a pastor and author, and he's speaking about this passage from Lewis that I just read. And he says, when you experience nostalgia, your heart is longing for a more beautiful person than you have ever met or a more beautiful place than you have ever known. You think you're longing for the past, but the past was never as good as your mind is telling you it was. And, says Lewis, God is giving you in that moment one of the most profound glimpses of the intensity of perfection and beauty that you, actually, that you have actually yet to see. What is in fact pulling on your heartstrings is the future. It's heaven. It's your sense of home and belonging that has just cracked the surface of your life for just a moment and then is gone. Earlier this morning, Steve led us through, I, I, I'm not, not, not at home yet. And, and this is the reality. I think when, when we lament as God intends for us to do, our perspective is changed and we understand that this feeling of loss is because I am in a temporary broken state right now, but it will not last forever. And everything that I love about the thing that I lost, I, I actually will experience in time, if I have trusted Jesus, and there will be a day where I will no longer experience loss, Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And that is future that is, that is the absolute future that we can be confident in if we have come to trust in Jesus. We will no longer experience loss, and God can, can change our sense of loss into an expectation on the future. So the question now is, have you trusted God with your eternity? And this, of course, is a question that we want to consistently ask, and we want to ask it throughout the, the Christmas season. Have you trusted God for that day when there, were, when there will no longer be any loss. Because this really is the message of the Christmas season. Let's read a familiar passage that we often read around Christmas. This is in Isaiah 53. There's a prophecy about the coming Messiah, the coming Christ, written 700 years before Jesus came. It says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus came to actually carry our sorrows. To carry our sorrows. We experience sorrow, we experience loss here due to sin. But Jesus came to carry those. He actually experienced loss himself. He entered in. He came from, a, from, from his home to a foreign country in order to bring us all home by experiencing the loss that we experience. And we deserved death and punishment, and yet he bore our iniquities, another word for sins. He bore all of those so that we could be rescued and we could be taken home where there is no more death 
or mourning or crying or pain. Steve and Amber, you can go ahead and come on back up. We're going to sing one more song. But, but Linus was right about the spirit of the, the, the Christmas season. And the angel said to them, the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And Jesus came to save. He came to save from all of this brokenness. And we can receive that. We can receive that salvation. All he asks is that we simply believe. We trust him. And we, we express that trust through prayer. We say, Jesus, I know I have broken things and I am experiencing this pain because of that and yet I trust you to take me home, take you to what I've always been longing for. And when we simply pray like that, he takes us home.